0: Ben is the first guest on MTN Podcasts, a series of interviews with the world's most engaging voices in graffiti writing. This month at Montana Colors we've been celebrating the great influence of music on graffiti and vice versa. However, it's not been easy to find individuals that are as well known, respected and active in both fields until now. Ven, a.k.a. Adam X, is a New Yorker who's been an active and influential part of train, graffiti and electronic music since the beginning of the 1990s. Currently a resident in Berlin, we caught up with him during a visit home to New York City. He was open, honest and an expressive individual whose experience and opinions make for essential listening. My name's Diagonal Mark. This is MTN podcast with Ben. So, so um, where are you based then? Are you, are you in, in Berlin still? I, I read on your... Uh, I am, but I'm,
1: I'm, in, I'm in Brooklyn. I, I wanted to escape the uh, the lockdown for a little while. The restrictions were getting too much in, in Berlin. So I came back and I also wanted to get the vaccine and I wanted to get the uh, Pfizer, which was really hard to get back in April in Germany. It's so more available now. How long have you
0: been in Berlin for now?
1: I, I moved there in 2007, so I'm on my 14th year.
0: How are you finding it? I mean, you must love it, right?
1: Yeah, I still love it there. It's a great city. It's a lot more freedom and uh, just easier, more mobile to get around, better nightlife, uh, better graffiti culture. For all the stuff I'm into, it's, it's a better place to be for for music, for graph. So yeah, I don't have any intentions of coming back to New York anytime soon. There's things here that I like, but it's, uh, speaking of graffiti, I like coming back to see all my friends. They're like, well, painting with and getting a chance to paint with them when I come back. So that's always a plus. You know, I also like to do some gigs here and stuff, but it's not really the ideal place for me to live. It's that very hectic city, New York. And I think I'm a much more relaxed person when I'm in Berlin.
0: So I suppose that, that explains the connection with the Amsterdam label uh, Reisadel, uh, the fact that you're a little bit closer. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this uh, new release that's come out then
1: yes i was uh i was introduced to to ferry who's put it together to another friend that's a writer from uh from holland and he introduced me to ferry and we met in berlin and uh i was doing some sort of photography of uh graffiti it's a hobby of mine that i've been doing since i lived there and uh i met these guys on a train station we got into talking and then he came back to me later and said if I would be interested in, in working on this project that he was doing, that he had these other two records out, or I think it was the one on the record at that time. And uh, yeah, I, I like the idea. And then, you know, he asked if I could put something together with a bunch of other writers that I'm connected with. And, and one is my brother. My brother is actually the person that got me into graffiti back in like 1983, 84. So I wanted to involve him since he's a very prolific artist in the electronic music scene. And then there was, uh, Pure. I've known Pure now for 37 years. We've met back in, uh, late end of 1984, but we've really started to hang out in 1985. Pure has always been someone that's been very involved in music. He's done different instruments. Um, and in the last several years, he got very involved in electronic music by buying modulars and buying hardware. And I just thought, you know, hearing some of the stuff he's done recently that that would also be a good fit for the record when Ferry asked me if I could compile something. And then it just made sense to do it as an All Our Kings record since, you know, we're all connected for many years. My, my brother since birth, basically, pure since back then. And, you know, for the connection with people like Reese, who who's the, the main president of the crew and Wolf. I mean, Reese actually did a record under the name All Our Kings back in, in the late 80s with Mesh, another member, original member of AOK. So I just thought it would be a cool thing to do as a as a crew record instead of just doing me on one track and having some another artist that i'm not really connected with and that's how the whole project came about
0: so and um, you mentioned you've been down with the you've been painting graffiti since the early 80s at that time was was music a big influence on graffiti did you did you think back then that i mean did you feel graffiti being part of this this element of of hip-hop or or has it always been something separate for you
1: That is a very good question. And that is a question that is, you know, you see it a lot these days. You see a lot of old school graffiti artists in New York, people like Seen who say that graffiti is not part of hip hop. And I would have to agree with that to a degree because graffiti was really predates hip hop. Right. I mean, graffiti is always its own entity. It's it's always been its own thing. But music got attached to it because you know a lot of the graffiti artists in the eighties were listening to rap music, and, and and including me, I would say that from you know eighty five and on, especially, I really got into the new wave of, of rap. I didn't really care much for the first generation of rap music; it was a, it was very basic sounding. So I kind of leaned more into electro. I was more into dance music at that time. You know, growing up. My brother was DJing since nineteen eighty one, so I, we came from a family of music. So we went out and we were roller skating discoing in the late seventies when I was like eight, nine, ten years old. You know, we would hear like big records like Kano hey, No, I'm ready, that's a towel disco, which is now nat- we didn't know that back then. I didn't classify music like that. But looking back in retrospect, I liked a lot of electronic music growing up, you know, things like African Babata Planet Rock. Now, that is that is hip hop in a sense, but it's also electro, you know, and a lot of stuff like Manpower, hip hop, bebop, you know, Strafe set it off. There's a, a crossover compared to stuff like, you know, the Cold Crush Brothers or Sugar Hill Gang, There's this more electro based stuff I always liked growing up and i can relate to that with graffiti i really started writing in 84 but i was aware of graffiti through my brother in 83 and at the time i always liked all the electro-based records out that, that john Roby and arthur baker were producing i didn't know who the producers were of these records till i got into techno in like 89 90 but all the records that i go back to like john roker i wanted to be real labels like streetwise all this kind of electro stuff that you know, and that stuff crossed over into hip-hop in New York and was on the radio here. That was the music that was more relevant to me. And it's still actually re- relevant to me now. I still listen to a lot of that music, like even a lot of the old electronic stuff. So they would, this stuff was always the background music. And then when 85 came and MC Shan and Bismarck Eve, rest in peace, he just passed away, as you probably know. And all, you know, then Public Enemy in 86 and Big Daddy Kane and and all this era of EPMD. I mean, this music definitely played the soundtrack to what we were doing when we were painting on trains in in the the mid to late 80s. I'm not going to lie, but. At the same time, my favorite band of all time is Black Sabbath. And if you don't think we listen to Black Sabbath and went painting to listening to that or, you know, we've gone to ACDC concerts back in 85 or Metallica and Ozzy concerts, we kind of listen to everything. I mean, Reese, especially used to take me to like, you know, we go to New York City hardcore shows. We were going to see core. We were very music oriented. I think the only thing we didn't really listen to back then was probably industrial electronic body music, which I'm very heavily involved with in the last 20 years and and that was because it was a more of a suburban type music than it was urban so I wasn't aware of it at the time but I'm sure we would have been a big fan of that if I would have known about it back then so the music back then and I don't even call it hip-hop we called it rap it was a soundtrack to what we're doing I still think it's separate from graffiti culture in my opinion because the big greats of the 70s at Mo Graffiti, they were listening to funk and soul. They were listening to rock. They were listening to funk. I mean, Dondi was naming his whole car Children of the Grave. That's Black Sabbath. <laughs> Blade in his book talks about listening to funk and rock music, you know, seen outright called out hip hop. and said he never listened to any dance music, that he was in the rock. So I don't know. I, I see it as a disconnect, but I also see how it was all packaged together to sell it and as a product in the early to mid 80s with movies like Beach Street and all this stuff and how the, the Europeans were marketed with this type of, you know, packaging and why in Europe it was always kind of really connected to hip hop more so less than in New York City because there were definitely a lot of writers when I was growing up that were into rock music and stuff like that. Were were not into rap. So I see it as a, uh, I see it as a separate thing. Mm-hmm. ¶¶
0: too simplistic to say that it, it was like people's musical tastes were based on their race like the black and latino kids were liking one type of music and the white kids maybe more into electronic stuff or is that is that completely uh, not the
1: case I would say it's kind of is and kind of not because you had white kids and white neighbors. What well, I grew up in Brooklyn, I grew up like in the sh- in originally I grew up in the floppish area of Brooklyn. It was pretty much Irish neighborhood, and those kids growing up, and it was before I really got into the graffiti. It was like an in initial stop. And my brother was already riding on trains at that point. Those kids in that neighborhood really grew up listening to rock music. They all had their dungaree jackets with the, the shorts sewn on the back. And, but there weren't a lot of writers in that neighborhood, but then there were other neighborhoods like in Ridgewood, Queens, where there were definitely a lot of writers that were, were, were white that were listening to, to rock. And, you know, you had writers like Is The Wiz and, and people like Satch, like in Star Wars, he's wearing a Van Halen shirt, you know, these guys were kings. They were listening to rock. I mean, even Quick was doing talking heads end to ends on, on the CC train. So I don't know if you could really divide it because there were white kids when I moved into the next neighborhood and when rap started getting bigger. See, rap wasn't really that big with white kids in, in the early 80s, but by 85 when... when the bands that I, the rap acts that i named before like mc shan and all this stuff and, and rakeem and all this stuff were coming out in the neighborhood i grew up with all the italian kids were really listening to that like the the, the writers in my neighborhood that weren't really they were more like local writers they didn't really they, they might have tagged up on the trains in the local neighborhood layups they weren't like any really big known writers in my neighborhood that were doing whole calls and stuff and and, and or, or doing burners on trains but they were all into rap they were definitely all into that that mid. They were all white. And, and you know, there were some Latino kids and some black kids in the neighborhood crew. And they were all into rap.
0: Absolutely. And in, in your case, I mean, this, the whole reason I wanted to get in touch with you is because, obviously, uh, you're probably just as well known as Ven as you are as Adam X, you know, to, to well, depending on who you talk to. Um, so in your experiences there are a lot of writers that were musicians I mean I'm, I, I don't know that many I've got to say that, of people that have uh, you know made serious inroads in both uh, disciplines
1: in the field that I'm in in electronic music not really but in you know there's always a, there's definitely a few in the same as, as hip hop right or rap I mean how many writers came out and, and started doing rap stuff other than like Dez I mean he's like the known K-Slay he's the known hip hop DJ He's probably the biggest one that came out of out of graffiti scene and and into hip hop and made music. I don't really think there's many others that you can really think of that got up on trains that crossed over and and then started making, you know, rap music or dance music is not many, you know. There are definitely people that came out of the scene like Mackie, who was down with RTW, who wrote Hyper with Zephyr and, and Bombs with Futura and Min and all these guys back in Revolt back in the late 70s. He became a big drummer in like the New York City hardcore scene. He was in like cro and all the bands. I don't really follow that music so much. I just know that he's a legendary drummer and a lot of guys that I know that are into that music speak highly of him. But overall that's not so many people that came out um d culture. Not people that got up a lot and did you know, did their thing.
0: Of course, uh, the the release from uh Zadel, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, um was Writers on Wax and that was um a compilation of tunes from from different writers, including Oshimeos who who I didn't know were, were producers, um and a couple of more definitely also worth checking out. So with, with the All Out Kings, I mean, this is just your latest record. Um, you as Adam X, your, your first productions were back in 1990, is that right? Around that time?
1: Yes, that's correct. 1991 is my first solo project. 90 is my collaboration with another two artists. And, um, you know, that was my learning stage, going in the studio with them and, and making something. I don't think I actually completely really even knew what I was doing, but we just improvised and came up with something. So, yeah, 1990 it is First record that I had my name on.
0: And uh, around that time, I mean, had you been through your graffiti phase and you went into music, or were these two things like big passions of yours at the same time?
1: Actually, it was kind of weird. I was phasing out of graffiti because I had so much police uh, harassment going on with me at the time from writing on all the clean trains and new trains. You know, I-, I transitioned out of the graffiti bomb train ever in New York where the trains were fully painted and was really one of the first guys to really start killing these new trains with um you know um throw ups, pieces, whole cars and the cops were really going crazy. They really wanted to stop me from doing this and I was doing it a lot with Reese and, you know, inducted a lot of guys like J. A. and Vir and my friend Nike and my friend PM and We were all like really killing these clean trains in like 89 and the police were like staking out my house and they were really harassing me. They were like jumping up with my windows. I had to have my mother go to the police station and file harassment charges against them. It was really insane what I was dealing with at this time with the police. They were really fucking with me and just playing dirty with me, you know. And so my brother was already DJing at this point and he was kind of out of breath. He wasn't really bombing it for for a few years at this point. And I started going out to clubs to hear him play because I became of age. I became of 18. I was able to go out to clubs now and check him out. And this was on the, the early start of the Acid House. And he would play with another DJ, Lenny D from Brooklyn. And me and, and Reese from OK would go out and hear my brother play. And I really started getting into music a lot. And my brother was giving me mixtapes of all this music. And at the same time... My brother was going to England and he was playing all these like summer of love raves that were going on in, in Britain, especially in the London scene. And in the, in what they call the orbital rave scene, which was the M25 and, and in which is the, you know, the orbit of, of the orbital highway of London. And, and everything was going on inside this orbital, all these crazy parties. He was playing like twenty five thousand person raves coming back, showing me videos of this stuff and I was just blown away that you had youth culture in a rave with this many people and there were no fights going on in, in these parties and like everybody, I mean clearly they were on ecstasy but ecstasy was a new thing and we were like what, wow this is insane that you can get all these people and it's peaceful and nobody's beating each other up and well, we gotta do this in New York because right now we're, we have racial tension that is like On the verge of nearly a rise about to happen because Yousef Hawkins, which Public Enemy actually rhymes about, and when you listen to, like, Welcome to Terror Dome, you know, Fight the Power was all against this stuff that was going on in Brooklyn, these racial crimes that where a black kid named Yousef Hawkins got shot dead in a white neighborhood, sent me from buying a go-used car, and they didn't like the fact he was black. There was like protests going on in, in these neighborhoods, in these white neighborhoods, and the white people are protesting against the blacks coming in their neighborhoods that who are protesting against them. And it was like, yo, know, it was on the verge. And then it was very territorial neighborhoods. It, it was not only just racial back then in the neighborhoods, it was very neighborhood gang oriented, but wasn't like gangs, like bloods and crips. This was just, you went into the wrong neighborhood and those kids didn't recognize you. It didn't matter if you were white in the wrong white neighborhood or if you were black in a wrong white neighborhood, they were beating the shit out of you. It was crazy. And then if you went to clubs and you didn't know if you went up to talk to a girl and she was friends with somebody from another neighborhood and they didn't recognize you, they'd come and beat you up. They'd be like, Yo, why are you talking to this girl for? And it you know, that's how that's she's down with us. And so you couldn't really even go to clubs without like violence here. It was it was pretty really fucked up here for youth culture you know you might be able to go to clubs with older people but if you were 18 19 20 early 20s to go to a club you were definitely risking getting into fights a lot it was like a really violent scene so my brother wanted to bring this culture that he was playing at and what we saw videos of to new york city and that's what we did and we promoted peace love unity at raves i did a train in the scrapyard that was used. I did it for promotion purposes because we wanted to do, you know, press stuff with it. And I painted a train that's pretty legendary. It's in a, quite a few books about this piece of unity, which we were pushing. It was like an end-to-end train on a, on a work train in the scrapyard. And that went kind of viral before the internet, let's say. People knew about it. And um we just started pushing this vibe in New York with this. And i stepped away from graffiti this was kind of like a big thing for me we had an agenda to push and i didn't really have time to paint and i I didn't really want to deal with the police at this point i was like the music kind of took me over for a while for years i didn't really do anything until i i did you know i did i would go to denmark and then i met these guys who booked me at a party and they were all writers i came into this warehouse party before the the party started and they were all looking at graph magazines i'm like oh you guys are writers and i and I was, like, looking at one of the magazines I knew, and I was like, oh, shit, you know, I'm in that magazine. And I'm like, you're a writer? And I'm like, yeah, I'm so-and-so here. And they they looked at it and went, that's fucking you? And I'm like, that's me. Nah. And I'm like, give me your black book. Let me show you. And they were bugging out, and then they, they invited me to go paint with them. And I, so I did an illegal war with them and should have actually did a train. But I did an illegal war with them, and I wasn't really active at this time, but I just went and did it with them. But I was, like, really not dabbling in the graph much. Maybe, you know, I did something once a year, something small, but no trains. From, like, 92 to 97, I didn't paint any trains. And in 97, I did a train with Sento. So, and then, you know, that was dabbled in it for a minute, then jumped back out of it again. So I I really got more active in the graph scene again in 2001. Your involvement's
0: changed in graffiti over the years.
1: I'm always around and I'm very aware of what goes on in graffiti culture, you know, in the underground sense of it. And uh, I'm not interested in commercial graffiti. I really don't try to do graffiti to make money. Um, I don't really need to. If I if 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 I wasn't doing music, I'd probably do what like my other friends do, and and you know try to make a living off it. I don't have a problem that my friends make a living off of it. My friends like Wayne COD, people like Pure, people like Reese. Well, Reese does more fine art stuff. He doesn't do so much graffiti style stuff to, to earn a living. But I don't have a problem with anybody that makes a, a living off a graph that's put that paid their dues. It's well deserved. I never felt like I needed to do that. I also don't think I have the artistic talents on the levels of the guys that I just mentioned. I can paint. I'm definitely a style writer with no doubt. I have no um, insecurities about what I do when it comes to painting. I think my artwork would probably only sell to other writers. I don't think people in the normal art world would be interested in what I do. If I wasn't doing music, maybe the music connection would have more people interested in my artwork. But... You know, I just never had a real desire to do it. I also like the fact I do techno and make my living from that. And then I have a hobby on the side that I can do, that I can step away from, from the business side of, of life. And it's actually a lifestyle. I'm it's into it, if not more than I am sometimes with music. I follow following it constantly. You know, I'm, I'm interested on a day to day basis. So what,
0: what do you think the values of graffiti are, or, or what have you learned from graffiti? What positive values have you learned from it?
1: Positive values. Yeah. It is, as, as though, I'm, I'm gonna say, you know, growing up in New York in the 80s in a, a very violent city where there was a lot of criminals running around. You know, my father was murdered in 1985 driving a taxi. It was a very hard time. I could have, you know, you could have easily grown up hating on people, but the cultural diversity and the classist level of graffiti where you could write with somebody that was super fucking in poverty to somebody that was super rich. We've had rich friends that wrote. We had people that were as poor as fuck. We had people from blacks, Asian, uh, Latino, that cultural gathering of all of us because I never felt it. I never felt racism in graffiti. Some people said they experienced it, but I think it was more if you went into a neighborhood, like if you went into a black neighborhood to go and you were white and you risked probably getting fucked up because you stuck out like a sore thumb. And vice versa, if you were black and you went into a white neighborhood where there was a train yard, you might have a problem. But once you were in that train yard, I have never really heard... Of racial attacks happening because it was somebody of a, of a different color or a different background. If you got beat up in a train yard, you got beat up probably because it was a more of a a crew versus crew thing. I mean, it was definitely grimy in the trains back in the in the eighties because you know one thing that's not really spoken about a lot was when they passed laws here in New York City to buy spray paint in stores. That people, you know, especially people of minority, you know, backgrounds had a hard time getting spray paint if they went out of the city. If you went out in the suburbs to go in a store and you were black or Latino, you would might have a hard time, harder time than me being white to get spray paint in, in places. Or they might have had just no way to get out to these places by car. So there was a lot of violence in the, in the eighties and a lot of people getting robbed for spray paint in train tunnels. That was less common in the seventies. You know, people were really, as we call the term, vamping. They were getting vamped in tunnels. And you had to watch where you went and what layups you went to because there were certain crews that were running certain layups that will, would vamp you if you were not connected with them at, by any means, you know? And could that be racial? Sometimes it might if you walked into an area where it was like, more Latino or you were some white kids that walked in, you were probably going to get vamped if you didn't know these people. But if you were a higher up writer that was known, you probably could get a three pass. It was always, you know, there's that hierarchy in the graffiti. It's always been there.
0: So you had so. to be quite like a tough individual, right? To, to get to, to get the status that you eventually got with you, well, personally and also with your crew.
1: The survival of the fittest or you align yourself. If you had the skills, to paint and you were got up and you were respected you could ride with bigger crews and then you really had the free pass if you had a big crew and we did because we were all connected we were all pretty much style writers at the time i'm not going to put myself I, I think i was a style writer on the level of someone like you know like someone like part or pure or Scene or shame the tat guys you know i was coming up but i was getting good See, I always got along with a lot of people because I was the probably the main photographer after Henry Charlefont. Me and Cav, who painted with Cento from TFP, were the main guys doing most of the photography in New York of graffiti on trains at that time. So everybody was always asking me for photos. Like I was just, re- people also respected me because I was really small in the beginning. Like in 84, 85, I was like probably. I looked like I was, like, 10 years old, even when I was 13. When I was 15, I probably looked like I was 11. So I got a free pass. People didn't want to fuck with a little kid because that's, you know, if you fuck with somebody that's really small, that's not a good look. So by that point, I already started knowing everybody in all the crews. So I never really had a problem with people. And I would travel from Brooklyn to the Bronx when I was fucking 12, 13, meeting all the TAT guys. And I could bench on the same train station with all of them. I mean, bio from TAT recently showed me a year ago showed me this really funny picture that i don't even remember where he's like he's got me in a in a body grip hanging me over the platform we're just cracking up hysterical and i was like oh shit i don't even remember hanging out with you guys that day so i was always pretty connected with everybody i didn't have problems with people and so i always hung out with writers that were respected for the most part so me growing up i didn't really have i had a lot of beef in the in the later 80s when we were getting up a lot you know, toys going over us and then we going back over them and that always created hostility. But at that time, we, you know, we were a really big crew of people. We were like, you know, there was like Ghost, J.A., Reese, Track 2, Santo, uh, Wayne. It was a, you know, we were all painting a lot together regularly. So, you know, people weren't really, we had our thing going on at that point. So I didn't have that much problems. I had, I had war with people though.
0: You ever have, um, any girls in your crews? I mean, this, is. Obviously, there's not many girls in graffiti, but um, what's your what's your point of view on that? I mean, is it was it not a great environment for them to start painting?
1: Well, at that time, it was definitely pretty much non-existent. I don't I didn't really know any females that were, that were writing. I mean, I know Pink from later on. We all know about Lady Pink, but she's kind of really one of the only ones. There were there were two females in Brooklyn that that my brother used to write with, uh, SS and Chick, and they were like kings of the insides for a while on the on the letter line trains. So you, you know. Nobody was stopping any females from going painting, you know, or writing, or trains. I, it was not like, you, you know, the women, you can't let them in the tunnel. I don't think anybody's going to rob a woman. That wouldn't be a good look. So, no, I just think, you know, women just weren't doing it. Maybe they thought it was, you know, a man's game. It was too dangerous. I can't know for a valid reason why more women weren't writing, you know. do you think I mean, it's we a, have more now.
0: Is it is it a male instinct to want to get, you know, famous like that? Is, I mean, like a maybe that doesn't... Imp- It's not that important to a a woman.
1: I don't know. I always kind of looked at graffiti like when we were writing and tagging. I always thought it was a little bit vandalism. We were kind of fucking shit up. We knew we were doing what we were doing. I don't know. Maybe women don't like to vandalize stuff this much, you know. (laughs) I I know we're getting inside of a clean brand new train and I got a mop with fucking, you know, and pints and pints of ink that I'm out to do damage I'm, I'm getting my name up but i'm also like i'm fucking the system and i don't know if you know at that time i don't know maybe women more now are like that i don't know if it's a male instinct i don't know maybe it was just women just didn't get it what we were doing or they just thought that it was a guy's game i don't really know like we're all supposed to be equal in this so hey i can't tell you why women weren't doing it i have no explanation from my side
0: i mean we were they're just, doing it
1: now sure know. absolutely I mean, one of my favorite teams in graffiti has got to be Bonnie and Clyde, Utah and Utah. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the story behind them, that should be a major Hollywood movie.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, as you mentioned before, you're living in Berlin, so that's, for me, socially one of the most progressive cities, maybe in the world. And and how about the, the graffiti scene? How does that compare now to, to back in the day in, in New York? I know, I know we're talking about, like, li- different decades and everything, but um how do you like it there in terms of graffiti back in like
1: 2013 14 i started to pay more notice to the graffiti on the trains there in the beginning when i lived there i would see stuff running but you know i was like one of those old guys you know those old new york guys that doesn't like anything but new york old school graffiti right (laughs) but then i don't know it started to see some really cool stuff and then it started to grow on me and then my opinion started to change on things and i was like you know what i don't want to see people in Europe doing this kind of you know necessarily what I grew up with it's cool to kind of see some new stuff and then I started to notice that the graffiti was actually getting really better there stylistically too around 2013-14 so I started photographing it and I started to notice it on trains and I met another photographer who was not a writer and he started like you know telling me yeah you can check out stuff here and there and I was like oh I got you know I have free time I'm doing music I'm playing out mostly on the weekends why not go out and start photographing it So I started doing that and I started really getting addicted to photography again because that was always another passion of mine. And so I started documenting it quite a bit and got pretty obsessed with the photography of it. I also liked the fact that I could do more panoramic-style shooting because of digital photography. Because I always wanted to do the photography that Martha did, like Martha Cooper. But, you know, that was really hard photography to do because you didn't see it when you shot it. And if you fucked it up because you have to do panning. And you're using film, which you don't have much of, you know, and then you don't see it until you develop it till days later. So I stuck with the more Henry Charler, like close-up shots where you connect them and you cut them. So now with digital photography and as, you know, as photography in general became more of an interest of mine again, I wanted to do this more background, like capturing the environment. And so I started to to play around with this photography quite a bit. And, you know, I got super interested in it. And then, you know, the U-Bahn in Berlin, the underground trains, When you would rarely ever see anything on the trains. But around 2017, you started to notice more graffiti on the trains. They were having a problem cleaning this. And then there was a, a crazy surge of graffiti on the U-Bahn. And then by COVID last year, to be honest with you, I saw more graffiti on the trains in the middle of last summer, like burners on trains, than I did in New York in the mid-'80s. There were more burners and end to and things going on in the trains at a given time than any given weekend in new york that would be if you went out on a monday in new york like in 84 85 86 to 89 there was definitely more graffiti being done on the weekend in berlin on trains with art than it was there and at one point last year in berlin i would say there was at least 250 trains running with pieces on them
0: styles that that you could uh, respect
1: there's a lot of great writers that are painting
0: I want to know what your opinion is on the kind of, let's say, uh, some people call it anti-style, ghetto-style, um, I call it like postmodern graffiti, where it's kind of sloppy and funky on purpose. Um, I did an interview with uh, Reese not too long ago, and he said, you know, uh, Ghost was amongst the, the first people to do this kind of funky style where they weren't, want, weren't trying to do it all sharp, I and mean, they were trying to put a little bit of comedy in the in the graffiti. Is that something that you appreciate?
1: I see it around like I do I look I like any form of graffiti that, that I see that's on trains right so I, it's not my preference but I, I appreciate it you know I, if it, it really depends on the artist because I know there's definitely certain people that are really into that and they really push it and it's fine I do like when people do looser 70s styles you know and you know that I see this quite a bit in Berlin. But it actually has style. I, I definitely prefer more style writing. It's, not, it's really not that hard to stylize your name and make it look good, even if it's really retro and old school. Maybe I would like to see a bit more good throw-ups again.
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's, another, there's a, um, I don't know, a movement of, of throw-ups. There's a there's a group called the Throw-Up Cult that started on Instagram. And it's kind of an international group now that of, of just getting people to do more and more throw-ups. Uh, I think that represents, you know, like an interest in throw-ups as an art form in itself, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, growing up in New York in the mid-80s, especially on the letter line trains in Brooklyn, where there were so many burner-style rider guys going on, but some of those guys had throw-ups that could be considered burners. I mean, if you look at KP, who's a legendary throw-up king from from the BMTs, I mean, he's got probably one of the craziest, most original throw-ups I've ever seen. O-E was a really prolific, uh, king from throw-ups and tags, but he also did some nice burners too, from also from the letter lines, but was an all-city writer. I mean, these guys had top throw-ups. You also had people like Min, who did the N-E throw I mean, Min is a all-around writer who did many amazing whole calls, he was an amazing style writer, but had great throw there were a lot of great throw ups on the trains here, you know, and that's it has been a little bit missing art form. But I notice it now in New York that there are some writers that have some really cool stuff. Like I was here a, a, like 78 months ago and I didn't see this writer up. And now I'm seeing him up everywhere in New York, a guy that writes cheek. I've never heard of this guy before, but he's got some really cool throw ups and really cool, simple styles on warehouses and industrial neighborhoods. And I really pick up on that. But if it's for somebody that throw ups that get up a lot and they're not good and I can't read this shit because it's really just wacky, I probably don't pay attention to it. I, my mind is like trained to pick up a good throw-up. And if I see a good throw-up, I'm going to recognize it again, sure. even if it's not a lot of them. But if I see one, I'm going to remember it. But if I see something wax, I it's like I form a mental block. It's weird, <laughs> you know? And the you- same thing with hand styles and tagging. You know,
0: you've been in uh, obviously in New York then in in recent months and you must have seen uh, all the activity that's going on on the trains. Once again, whole cars, whole trains, even it's mind blowing.
1: It's super mind blowing. It's amazing. But the thing is, is that I'll never see it because they move these trains out of service immediately. So unless you're in the know and the artists are telling you where it is and you're positioning yourself somewhere to make photos the chances are are pretty much next to none that you will see it. Unless you live by one of the yards where they keep pulling the trains in, to get buffed all the time. There's one particular yard where sometimes they leave it out in the open. And if you're driving by on the train there, you you might see it. You might see something here and there. Other than that, you're not seeing it. It's not like in Berlin. You can just go out randomly. If you really want to go out and make photos like me, I just go out on my bike and I want to sit on, next to the trains in a park or something or wherever to make photos i know that if i hanging out and just chilling that i'm going to see something to photograph something i don't need any information from anybody you know i'm not i'm not in touch with writers there i stay out of the loop with that but here you would have to have inside information to find out about these kind of things i don't know the people that are painting this stuff here it, it seems that there's always different names popping up different people coming i just don't know who's doing it so I don't know anything other than what I see on the internet. I would easily love to go out and make photos here. It's like, this is the best location to make photos if you want an urban environment behind your photos. I mean, it was way cool when Martha Cooper was doing it, when it was all these abandoned buildings. But the just skyline views and stuff like that, I would be out there in a heartbeat. But unfortunately, I've been here three months visiting, and I haven't made one photo. You know, it sucks. In Berlin, when I get back, I'll ride my bike around. I'll make some photos you can go out any day and make photos in berlin you just it's just random you can just go on the train anytime and it's fun it's excitement to see something randomly
0: as adam x you've must have traveled the, the world basically i mean djing since since the the 90s right apart from berlin new york any other scenes and um, that you you've you've encountered uh, that's really uh, inspired you
1: I was in Athens when they were really hitting the trains a lot there, maybe about seven years back around 2014, 15, I think it was. And, um, yeah, I I spent, you know, definitely some time there just in between. I had, I took an extra day there and actually in Rome, I've spent a lot of time shooting trains in Rome. I've been to Rome many times and, uh, every time I go there, I always was scheduling it to stay in an extra day to go just shoot trains there, like go down into the the B line there and the underground. And it was very really exciting to watch the trains there. I was definitely rider that I, that I was really liking there on the trains, like Poison and Scream and, you know, just catching their stuff and seeing it every time I came back. They had new stuff running. And, um, yeah, I, you know, just keeping up on that. And then, you know, I would go to other places and then sometimes not have any luck. I'd go to uh, Brussels and I wouldn't really see anything, you know, cause I don't know any of the writers there and I didn't know exactly where to look. I'd go sit on like Midi Nord. I'd even get a hotel in that area just to go buy trains, but I'd really never made a lot of photos there. Or well, I went, I play in Genton and I would go sit on the, on the station in Ghent for a couple hours, but you know, I'd see a panel or two, but I, uh, you know, I wasn't really catching a lot. I definitely make attempts, you know, win some lose some
0: absolutely so bringing this back to music a little bit what can people i mean what do you think that that exists in your music what of graffiti is in your music i mean occasionally i've seen um some of the the artwork <laughs> as re- related to music but uh, related to graffiti should i say but what is it that you think what part of graffiti makes itself into your productions
1: i won't say that all my music has relevancy to graffiti but i can tell you that there are projects that i've done i've done a project called it's a side project it's uh ADMX 71 and this project i did an album in around 2011 called uh, the second system and it's all about the unbuilt subway tunnels in new york and places where they were they were planning trains and they might have built provisions into certain train tunnels and in that album there's a lot of uh sounds from the subway trains that i grew up with uh, you know, certain train models that I really liked. There's one about the R-10 flats. It's, it's basically samples that i taken from, I found, you know, stuff on YouTube with these trains, with these compressor sounds, and I made sounds out of them for tracks, or you made rhythms out of the subway trains, go, the trains going over the tracks. And that one is definitely involved. It's a really like a kind of a themes, themed album about, you know, my time spent in train tunnels and sounds that I would hear down there. And, you know, I was able to source some of this stuff, like field recordings from train documentaries and stuff about the New York City subway system, you know, sampling like the conductors are announcing subway stops in a train and it's really faint in the background of like an ambient track. Um, so you can find connections on my stuff to that.
0: So, you've just got this new EP out, as, as I mentioned before, it's All Out Kings, it's available on the Roisedale website, as well as your local record store. What else have you got coming out? I mean, you're talking about all these photos that you're doing, and surely there's a book or an exhibition to be organised in the future.
1: Eventually, I would like to make a book with the bro and stuff, but for now, it's just more of a hobby. Um, that's something maybe later down the road that I would work on, but I, I will work on a New York book of the photography of all the stuff I did in the eighties. Um, you know, this is, this is a project that I really want to do. It's something that is going to happen. And, you know, at, at some point I've already been, I've already been kind of working on it and laying out the ideas for it. I just need to find the time between my music and, and stuff. Now is kind of the time, but the COVID is also ending now and, and I'm playing more now again. So, who knows when when it all comes about it's definitely something I want to do at some point maybe an exhibition for the photography that I do but I don't know how it's interesting it would be to do it for writers in in let's say you know gearing it towards writers in Berlin it might be more interesting for the people that follow me musically to do right you know because with the internet now and I can go on Instagram and see that people painting trains in Berlin and actually kind of figure out what train lines they're on and go out and make my own photos I use it as a tool for that sometimes you know so there's a lot of people doing it. Maybe it's not so exciting to put out a book of stuff that's already that's happening now. Sometimes you have to let things age like fine wine. But you know, I'm, I'm also getting quite old. So the New York book is more on my radar right now to do something about the '80s and growing up in New York and and the stuff I did.
0: Well, we look forward to to getting news about that. Obviously, people can follow your Instagram um, to which I'm going to leave in the in the comments of of this program to Find out the all the latest and, and and obviously where you're going to be playing because yeah, that's that's all starting off again. Seriously, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I I learned like only two weeks ago that the Adam X and Ven were the same person, so I mean, it, it's it's an absolute pleasure to talk to both of you, you know,
1: <laughs> right? The, the schizo <laughs> that's like, it, man. <laughs>
0: follow Adam's adventures on his Instagram at AdamX underscore Sonic Groove If you like this podcast be sure to subscribe and share it on social media